My mother makes the best Thanksgiving. Cornbread dressing, I don't know why some of you have the other kind. Roast turkey giblet gravy, mashed sweet potatoes with the golden brown marshmallow, still a little bit gooey but a little crispy on the top. I have all of mom's recipes scribbled in my messy handwriting on torn sheets of white and yellow notebook paper. Back before email or cell phones, my mother dictated these recipes to me over the telephone, back when you still had to pay 21 cents a minute for a long-distance call. When I flipped through my three-ring recipe binder and I noticed these scribbled recipes now stained with grease, I can still picture my mother in our kitchen, standing over the stove, stirring the simmering gravy with her wooden spoon, and chatting with me and my grandmother and my sister and my aunt. Though it has been more than three decades since I dined at my mother's table in Texas for Thanksgiving, I can still taste it, smell it, feel it, as vividly as if it happened yesterday. Have you ever noticed that we have citizenship in two places? You grew up in one place or with one worldview, and now you reside in a new place or inhabit a new way of thinking. Today's scripture lesson says that God rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the realm of Jesus where we hang out with the saints in the light. This letter was written to encourage Christians who were confused or frustrated about what was happening in their world. The followers of Jesus living in Colossae, which is now modern-day Turkey, were often treated poorly or eyed with suspicion because of their Christian faith. The Roman Empire, you recall, was brutal. And even though back then they didn't have Facebook or Twitter, they were daily bombarded with a conflicting set of messages about how they were to live their lives as Christian people. Now, we don't know all the details of their struggles. Even scholars can't quite sort it all out. But since they are asked in this letter to endure with patience and joyfully give thanks, we can assume that they were growing impatient and beginning to grumble and complain rather than to give thanks. Are you and I also citizens of two realms? We do know that we live in a world of turbulent political times. We do know that we live in a world where 65 million people are displaced around the globe. And we live in a country where 15.9 million American children are food insecure. We know, too, that we live in families and neighborhoods where alcoholism and drug abuse devastate lives. But do we also live in a realm where our strength comes from God's glorious power, where we joyfully give thanks because we share in this so-called light? I must confess, some days it is difficult to swallow these flowery promises that Joe just read for us from the book of Colossians. Come on, is God really in control of this universe? Colossians claims that the love of Christ was there at the beginning of all time and that 
this love of Christ will reign supreme at the end of all time. But what about now? Where is God now? What is God up to? Is it possible to believe that we worship a God who still keeps the world spinning even now? Or does it sometimes feel to you, as it sometimes does to me, that God transferred folks into this realm of light and love, but some of us missed the transfer bus? Recently, I watched this film released in 2006 called Black Book. It's based on true events and characters. It tells the story of Rachel Stein, a Dutch Jewish singer living in the Nazi-occupied territory of the Netherlands in 1944. At the beginning of the film, Rachel's entire family is murdered as they try to escape by boat in the middle of the night to reach the liberated section of the Netherlands. Rachel sees the worst of humanity. She watches as the military officers steal the money and the jewelry off of the deceased victims. Rachel has nowhere to turn. She dyes her hair blonde, joins the Dutch resistance movement, and becomes a spy. She infiltrates the Nazi intelligence offices by becoming intimate with one of the German officers and securing a job as a secretary in the intelligence office. She begins falling in love with one of the German officers. As the war nears its end, we discover that some in the resistance fighters are actually traitors to their own people. And some of the German soldiers are actually kind souls who were working to help liberate the Jews. Rachel discovers that she has been living in these two realms where on both sides people are risking their lives for freedom and love, for peace, and a realm in which both sides show a life of folks who are caught up in lying and betrayal and stealing for their own personal gain. Our scripture lesson from Colossians offers guidance for those of us who live in dual realms. Those first century Christians were subject to laws of a king who did not share their faith. And yet, as citizens, they were expected to show loyalty to this king. The scripture steps in to remind them that their true king is Jesus. They encourage them in this letter to hang in there and believe that God is at work repairing this broken world. Now, it is one thing to believe that Eventually, God's goodness and light and love prevail. But what about now? Can we believe in the midst of our own messy world that God's realm breaks in? The famous Christian mystic Julian of Norwich lived at a time when it was particularly difficult to believe that God was at work repairing the world. Julian lived in England during the 20 years' war between French and the British. And if war was not enough turmoil for one life, a plague was wiping out half the population of Europe. And when one might have turned to the church for solace during this time of disease and war, the church was in the process of splitting apart into three branches led by three different popes. The 14th century contained enough turmoil to challenge anyone's belief in a God who claimed to be king of the universe. Julian was just a young girl, living in a time when girls had very little power, status, or rights. 
but Julian saw visions from God, and she wrote them down as theology that survives to this day. She saw of a vision of a God who is not just a wise God and a strong God, but a God who entered into the pain of our world. In the cross of Jesus, Julian saw a vision of a God who loved us so much that God would enter into the realm of our own pain and frustration and sadness and anxiety and fear. It was Julian's vision of this profound love for all of us that led her to write those words that we often hear in poem or song, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. Or as one theologian put it, God repairs the world's pain not by standing apart and commanding all things to be well, but by entering into that pain of our sad history from within through an act of profound love, the love we see on the cross. But all that can get kind of mind-boggling, so let me tell it with a story. The novel, Fine Balance, A Fine Balance, describes the lives of several different families in India who are living at various levels of the caste system. Dina is a poor young widow trying to make ends meet by running a tailoring business out of her apartment. She employs two men of a lower caste who come to her home each day to sit at sewing machines and mass-produce garments for a factory. Each afternoon, the two men from the lower caste take a tea break at a nearby cafe. But eventually, Dina insists that they take their tea in her apartment for fear that the landlord might discover she's running a business there and evict her. She serves the two employees tea in cracked ceramic mugs while she and her housemate sip their tea out of beautiful white china cups with pink flowers around the rim. The tailors fall on hard times and are evicted from the shanty town where they are housed, and they become homeless, turning to the pavement for sleep. Dina is so exasperated with them, she needs them, but she is afraid to get close to them. Without them, she will surely run out of money and become homeless herself, and slowly... Slowly, she softens, she finds a way to help them. She begins to see them not as two men of a lower caste, but as fellow human beings. And one afternoon, when she goes in to prepare the tea, she hands the two gentlemen the beautiful white china cups with the pink flowers around the rim. They think she has made a mistake, and they set them back down. Looking shocked, they return the cups but she shakes her head at them in a knowing glance. And as they sip the piping hot tea in her upper caste china, Dina softens a little more, and they become friends like family, like upper and lower caste, employee and employer. All the barriers are gone. They begin eating their meals together, cooking their meals together, and strength and empowerment comes through their relationship like a warm cup of tea. Jesus comes to us not as a king who stands at a distance, but as one who shares with us 
a hot cup of tea, the cup of life. Jesus enters into the pain and the struggle that we face. The eternal love of God is unable to keep its distance. Or as it says in the book of Colossians, in Jesus the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Well, sometimes we loosen our grip without even trying. My friend Cheryl lives in Jacksonville, Florida. She's raised three sons, two of which are now in graduate school, and the youngest was a senior in college in Florida last spring. About 2 o'clock in the morning, Cheryl got that phone call that every parent fears. Joey had been on the back of a motor scooter and had been in an accident. He was in intensive care. She and her husband threw on their sweats and drove through the night a couple of hours away to the hospital. By the time Cheryl and John arrived at his bedside, the doctors were certain that he would live, but not certain that he would have the full use of his brain. As the day wore on, things began to look better. His face would require many surgeries, but a full recovery seemed likely. Cheryl's dad is a retired physician, and he also drove to the hospital and began holding vigil with John and Cheryl at Joey's bedside. The next day came and went. The following evening, Cheryl, her dad, and her husband decided to go home and get a little rest. As they were walking to their cars, leaving the hospital, Cheryl's dad stopped and turned and looked at his tired and bedraggled daughter, and he said, Well, this is why you don't have kids. Her dad's deep and abiding affection and his raw humor broke the tension for just a moment, and all three of them could chuckle and breathe and trust that the God of the universe, the king of all creation, is not only some future reality, but a very present help now. When I look back over my own life at the best moments and at the most horrible moments, I realize that in those moments, God was completely and fully present. God doesn't wait, but enters into our realm. We can loosen our grip then on trying to fix the world because we can trust God's got this. It is not my job, it is not your job to keep the world spinning. We can let go of our need to control it all and then We can throw our heart and soul into partnering with the God who loves us and longs to make us into the holy realm of love. But it isn't easy. It isn't easy to loosen our grip. It isn't easy to trust that God's love is stronger than any other force in this life. But sometimes we get gentle reminders. Last summer, I showed up on a Saturday night in a small town in Sicily. I was alone, I was exhausted, and I got lost trying to find the grocery store and my apartment. And of course, about the time I got lost, my cell phone went dead. I had been traveling all day, and it had no more juice. I didn't know how I was going to find my way. I didn't know anyone in this town, and so I did what any mature woman does who's lost in a little village in Italy— I cried. But eventually, I made my way back to my apartment. 
I was there to volunteer at a refugee camp for teenage boys called the House of Culture. But it was Saturday night, and my orientation to the camp would not take place until Monday morning. They told me that there was a little Methodist church there in the village, a group of people involved in supporting the refugee camp. So the next morning, I showed up on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock outside the church doors, only to find that it was locked. There were a couple of other people in their 90s with me, waiting for the church to open. And about 9.05, the preacher came and unlocked the door, and we went in. And they had the liturgy. It was all in Italian, and I understood very little of what was said. But when they began singing Amazing Grace in Italian, I felt like I was home. After the service, a friendly elderly couple approached me and said in their broken English, Coffee? Well, what is church without coffee? And so, of course, I said yes, knowing that they would take me into their little parlor and we would have some coffee. But instead, they led me out the doors of the church and three blocks away into the village square where we sat outside with about a dozen other church members sipping cappuccino under the shade trees. Their English was poor, my Italian was poor, but some of us spoke a little French and began communicating. As we finished our coffee, they looked at me and they said, Beach? Well, I knew there was a beach about 15 miles away, but I had no car, and so I said, Sure. (laughs) I attended a meeting that afternoon at the refugee camp, and then this car came to pick me up. In the car, there were two grandfathers, two granddaughters, and a woman about my age. I piled in this car that would have comfortably held three, but there were, I think, six of us, and we began speeding down the road, and I thought to myself, hmm, I don't know any of these people's names. I don't know where we're going. No one on the planet knows where I am. All I knew about them was that they were God's people from the church and that their hospitality was beyond generous. Over the next several weeks, they continued to show me in myriad ways God's hospitality. Their warm embrace continued to surprise me, and I realized anew that God's realm embraces us all when we least expect it. God loves us in ways that we cannot predict or imagine. Once we loosen our grip on this realm, we are free to receive all that God offers.